I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. We're back. It's part two. Uh, and you're going to get the second half of the conversation. Hope you love the first one. You're going to love the second one too. Remember, Lindsay Goldberg can be followed at Lindsay, spelled with an A, uh, underscore G O L D W E R T on all the social medias. And her book, you can buy uh, Bow Down Lessons from Dominatrix on how to get everything you want. There is now a paperback. Uh, version there's the hardcover and paperback make a good holiday gifts for yourself for friends for families i will see you on the other side you, someone's got to be the top sometimes you know and someone's there's nothing gotta. to do with some Someone's got to be the top, you know? And sometimes like my husband will say to me, like, or I'll say to him, like, you got to make the decision. Sometimes I'm, I have real trouble sleeping sometimes. And I'll be like, well, do you want the back? Because we, we have a second bedroom. I'm like, do you want the back room? 
I'm like, don't ask if I want the back room because some people don't feel guilty. I'm kicking you into the back room. Tell me where you want it, where you're going to sleep tonight. It's so like, you make the decision. Because yeah. if you say, like, I'm going to give you the bedroom, then I'll be like, thank you. If you say, do you want the bedroom? I'll be like, no, like, I don't know. I don't want to kick you out into the back room. But the answer is no, I want the goddamn bedroom. I haven't slept in days. I'm, you know, so it's just like someone's, it's like sexy when someone's the top, you know? It's sexy and when someone's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, great. But sometimes you just don't want to make, have to make a decision. Well, life is full of these dumbass decisions and some of them are really important and you want to save your energy for the decisions that are important. And I, and my day is full of decisions. You know, I'm working, I started this job. I'm really, I really like it. I work at, um, I, I, my, my day job and my day existence is working in, fin, in a, in financial technology. I'm the editor in chief of a, of a personal finance app that helps couples with their, with their money, which is really fun. And that's really cool. It is cool. I, I like it a lot. And my day is full of decisions. I'm running this little, little magazine by myself. And sometimes Tim's like, what do you want? For, my husband's name is Tim. He's like, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I want, I want, I want cereal. I want like a pill that will be dinner. I want like, I want a burrito with a pill. I just don't care. Cause the, cause the question isn't what I want. It's like, what do you want for dinner? Cause the answer is I wanted to have a book tour. I wanted to go dancing. Mm-hmm. I want to have a life. That's what I want. I think about dinner is depressing because it's, it's just a reminder of all the things that I, I'm not doing this year. I want to go out for dinner. You know, what, you know what I want for dinner? I want to be out at a restaurant with my friends and whispering in their ears and laughing. I know. And not afraid that like you're going to get COVID or that you're actually going to get the waiter sick or like yeah. that this business is going to go under uh, if you don't go or support it enough. Yeah, which is hard. But that's a whole other thing about how we as consumers are all the guilt is put on us to support all these local businesses because they have no support from, from, from the government anymore. They've all run out of options. So of course it's up to us to, just to save them because God forbid a business goes under because they didn't get any support. It's our fault because we didn't support them enough. That's so unfair. And so many of us have reduced budgets, reduced income. It is, you know, the, the, the amount of guilt that's placed that were that's placed on us as being Americans and I, you know, and I, and I'm not, I'm not a socialist or, you know, whatever. I think we should have universal healthcare, but I'm saying that the way that the blame for getting COVID is always put on us. I was like, well, what did you do? You know, like, it's like, I went to work. It's like, oh, you had to go to work. Oh, you had to go into the office, you know, oh, or, man. you know, sometimes you, I mean, some people like you should, I mean, I haven't seen my family all year. It's incredibly depressing, but just the, just the fact that instead of having poor pub, the fact that there's poor public health, that's the problem. It's not the fact that you went to this. Like, oh, you went to the supermarket. Like, oh, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should have gotten groceries delivered. <laughs> what is that? Oh, you, oh, your store closed. Maybe you should have shopped there more. It's like, well, also I had to be home and work. Like, why is everything my fault? Yeah. Not your fault. Yeah. I was getting really annoyed, like on Twitter and Instagram, everyone's getting really mad at people going home for the holidays. And I was just like, we're yelling at the wrong people. We're yelling at the government, the government. Like we should be yelling at the government. They didn't give us any options. The governors, mayors, they can't have it both ways. They can't tell us to stay at home and not give people a universal income to make that possible and to save. Uh, people from evictions and save businesses. And yeah, people haven't seen their family in a fucking year. And uh, you you just can't have it both ways. You can't tell us to stay, stay at home. And then all of a sudden you're in Cabo. Uh, who, what mayor was that? Some, some mayor got caught in Mexico after telling his uh, constituents to stay at home. And it's just like, no, like it sucks. Like this winter is going to fucking suck in New York. It's going to be really, really, really hard. And, you know, and I, I just... Um... And I believe that life 
and I hope no one yells at me for saying this, but I believe that life is measured risk. I've taken a lot of risks in my career. I quit my pretty highly paid job um, at, a, at an investment startup to write this book. And people were like, you are crazy. Like, how could you, how could you do that? And I'm like, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a risk. And it was the best risk I ever took because even though I took a massive hit financially, I came, I came back. I got another job. Like, I, I didn't think I'd have to go back to work this year, but I did. I had to eat it, go back to work. And it ended up being okay. But you take a risk every time you go to the supermarket because my supermarket's full of the elderly. I take mm-hmm. a risk every time I go to Rite Aid, which is really all I ever go, supermarket and Rite Aid, you know, and, and yeah, a few other places on my street. But you have to pick your risks. And to me, going to see my in-laws for the holiday, who I love my in-laws very much, it's, to me, I said, it's not worth getting on a plane for me because I, 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 it's just, I can't do it. I'd rather see them next year and hug them and kiss them and tell them how much I love them versus getting versus getting there and being a nervous wreck that someone is like breathing on me, you know, and that's hard because that's not everybody's that. I mean, I don't know. I, I judge certain people, which is not nice. Judging is, is, you know, like if you're going out dancing and you're doing all the stuff in this state where COVID is out of control, like I just don't understand you. Yeah. Well, there's and, a huge difference between like measured, calculated measured risk and just being a blatant asshole. And just being a blatant, disgusting asshole. I mean, I, that's but my level of risk is like for Thanksgiving I saw three friends and we brought food together we like kept all the windows open and I said I will take this risk mm-hmm. of seeing three friends and having you know in Queens where I live and I said I accept, I accept this risk because if I have Thanksgiving I, I, I I'm, I'm gonna cry I'm gonna feel terrible about myself and a friend of mine's gonna stay over during Christmas because I am going to be a little lonesome and she's been isolating. That's another risk. So it's like, just be, because there's also physical versus mental health risks too. Yeah. If you stay well, but you become so lonely and, and your mental health breaks down, like that ain't, that's not good either. So you just have to have faith in your decisions and just weigh the pros and cons and say, this is not, this isn't worth it. This is worth it. And having Thanksgiving with two of my friends, three of my friends was worth it. And I, as far as I know, I didn't get COVID, you know. It's been said over and over again, but I do not think people understand how seriously a majority of New Yorkers take this because of March, April, and May. Because of I'll never how get over it. It, I, it was so traumatic. And it was I, the amount of death we were surrounded by. And then it was, I felt like America was mad at us, that we were the, we were the problem. Like it was our fault. Yep. And now, like, I don't know if you've been, I watch the numbers every day because uh, I actually have OCD and it got really bad. Well, not really bad. It got, it perked up in like March and April, but it's now, I have a therapist. It's all good. So again, it goes like into calculated risk of like, is it okay to see our friends in our bubble? Like we haven't seen people in a house yet. Like we always just go outside, but our friends have like backyards and fire pits. So it's easier for us to meet outside as it gets colder. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's but- so important. I look at the numbers too. You have to, if you, and I never use, I, I don't, I use the word trauma very selectively because I think it's overused in my opinion. It I definitely think is. And I have a lot of feelings about, about that word, but I, I think March in New York was traumatic in the way that 9-11 was traumatic. Um, I, so I live in Queens and I live a mile from Elmhurst hospital. So and you were the like amount, the epicenter for a second. We were at the epicenter. Like our zip code was, it was like kind of one epicenter over, but um, we had a lot of small, so I, I'm very close with people on my street. I live in this little tiny part of Queens called Sunnyside and bar owners died. 
my friend's father died. My best friend almost had to go to the hospital. So to me, it was death was everywhere. And people were out at bars because the government didn't, you know, wasn't taking it seriously. People were out and about until, I was out and about until, until, until March 15th. And I was on a plane back from California on March oh, wow. 1st. So, and my friend's husband was hospitalized for weeks because he was on a plane in late February where he was traveling in Seattle in late February. So people were mad at us because we were these, like, of course, these East Coast elite, you know, Jewish gay artists, you know, liberals, you know, that were getting people sick. But now that it's everywhere else, now we're mad. And now LA is locked. I don't know. I, I just can't relate. And I, I just, I, unless people, and it's such a disgusting lack of empathy in this country that nothing affects you until it affects you. Makes me sick. Like, I don't, I don't have that like, well, like it's not here. So I guess it doesn't bother me. It's like, I think of people getting sick, you know, miles away from, you know, like hundreds of miles from me. And I'm like, oh no, that's terrible. But I was supposed to see my parents today. I went to my parents all week. I was going to do a drive-by. We were joking that we wouldn't even stop the car. We would just be like, bye, you know. And my mom had to take a COVID test before she had to go to the doctor, before she had to go, um, she had to take care of something for herself. And like, and the weather was crummy, so I didn't get to see them. And it made me so sad because I miss my parents. And then I see all these people partying for the holidays together, these massive groups of like 15 and 20, and I get jealous. I'm like, why do you think it's okay? And why is my family so nervous about it? Like, what's, like, are they wrong or am I wrong? And the answer is, the answer is just 2020, that people are all living their own rules. I don't know. But it's, uh, but the funny thing is just because, you know, back to sex, which is our favorite topic, is that people are all still having sex during COVID. People are all sneaking around, you know, the, you know, people have all been on Tinder and making up their own rules about when to meet, when to meet outdoors, when to sleep together. People are still getting laid during COVID. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a New York Times nonsense, tired, older people thing where they're like, is anyone, is, is there a lack of intimacy during COVID? And the answer is, well, yeah, if you're stuck at home with your spouse, is definitely, or your partner. Yeah. Like no one's getting laid, but out in the world, people are sneaking around and, you know, getting their rocks off because we're all losing our minds. And do I judge people who were on Tinder and trying to meet and find intimacy and, you know, getting COVID tests or even probably not before they get laid. Like, no, I don't judge. I, I don't judge them. I judge people that go to family reunions and they get each other sick or go to weddings and get each other sick. I judge them. The weddings are a big one for me because yeah, like we were supposed to get married May, 2021. And we, but we both were like, no, we know it's not going to be safe then. And that was like, it, that was over a year before we like knew how in this we'd be like nine, 10 months later. And so to watch people in the height of it at the most, most like ugh, cases every day just gets higher and higher, higher. Just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it's a, could be a super spreader effect. I, no one cares about your day that much. Like, it's just, it's a day. It's a day. It is a day. And it's just, it's just so, and so I wrote an article about how to have like a super quest, like how to take your wedding and like put it under a shrink ray. So that you can have sort of the wedding you want, but I mean, this was during the spring and summer and early fall. Mm -hmm. But how you can have it outside and just literally have like ten people there, and how to just modify the risk to the point where you can do it. You can have the day you you almost you could have wanted, and a lot of people were really happy in the end. And people, you know, some people were like, "How dare you not invite your great aunt Selma?" 
but in the end, but then some people, most people just postponed. I had two postponed weddings this year and my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, we couldn't go to their wedding in Miami. And it like made me so angry that we couldn't go because first of all, Miami in the, in like October, please take me there. Yeah. And also I love my brother-in-law and I really want to get to know my new sister-in-law. And they had this tiny little outdoor wedding with just a few people and she looked so beautiful and he looked so handsome and it made me sick that I couldn't be there. And they were responsible, but they wanted to have their wedding. Like, they, you know, she's having a kid soon. And I, and I was really proud of him. I was really happy that he did, that he had the wedding that he wanted and they were very safe and social distance. And again, they just had the ceremony. But I just, I don't know. Like it's, it's just been such a crummy time and there's so much personal, there's so much guilt and blame on yourself for every, every minute. It's like, I should go out. I should do this. I should do that. And then, or, and just every, and after a while, all the guilt and shame weighs you down. And then you read the news and you feel personally responsible for not having voted hard enough. You know, I can't vote any harder, you know, Mm -hmm. and you should have done more. You should have done more and everything. I should have donated more. Everything gets put on, on us to, and I think that's part of what makes this country so, so difficult to live in right now because we are, it's your fault. You know, if you have diabetes or you have a heart condition, it's your fault that, that you got COVID because you didn't eat well enough, which is bullshit because mm-hmm. my friend was on a ventilator and he's 40 years old and in like incredible and he runs marathons. So and I think just, it's just, and it's ties, it just ties back into a lot of what we were talking about earlier with the idea of like, just don't accept what people tell you all the time. You know, don't, don't like I read the New York Times, I have a subscription, you know, I have journalist guilt, you know, but I think so much of their coverage is so damaging, you know, about like, should you be worried about this? Or should you think about this? Like, they're just filling up space and content with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Like the answer is, you know a lot of this common sense. Like, is your bubble a bigger bubble than you think it is? It's like, I don't know. Like, why don't you just like, like, why don't you just communicate with your friends about who they're really seeing and then accept that risk or don't. I just, I find like, I find all this coverage so fretful and so inconsistent that like, how can you even begin to listen to it? Like, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not okay. It's like, well, you wrote the same, you're contradicting advice within the course of a month the fuck am I supposed to think? And the answer is you have the answer. You have your own best judgment. And I, and I, I get food delivered. I'm putting people at risk when I get food, food delivered. You know, what am I supposed to do? Do I not get food delivered or do I go to a restaurant or do I go to the supermarket and buy food and somebody coughs on me in the end? But if I don't support this, the butcher, then maybe the butcher will go out of business. And in the end, you just have to wear a mask and wash your fucking hands and, and do your best. And, and that's part of saying like, it's part of advocating for yourself and making, adding a little more power to your day. It's like, this is what I'm doing today. I have to go to Rite Aid to pick up my medication because I have to pick up a prescription. Um, I have to get a cup of coffee because I'm going to murder everybody. And then I'm <laughs> going to come home. And the, yeah. And then I'm going to come home because that's enough for the day. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to touch on too, everything you said a hundred percent, but another thing that I think made it so traumatic or is making it so traumatic is that people have, had not only physical loss of actual people in their lives, but also these like very untangible things. Like you lost a book tour, right? I did. I lost a book tour. And that sucks. It sucks so bad. And it, I worked so hard on this book. And the, the best thing about the book that I wrote was that 
it sparks so many great conversations with different kinds of people. That's the reason to have a book tour is to go on the road and talk with people afterwards and have them say, I like this book or like, I love this topic or I wish I'd been more powerful in my twenties. That's the only reason to, to bother to go on a book tour is to talk to people. And I missed that. I missed all the conversations. I mean, I got to go to California and do some book events, but for like until then COVID hit, but it was such a disaster for all the writers who had books coming out in February to April. It was a disaster because only people only wanted to talk about COVID. No one was doing was reviewing any books. And then thing and then the conversation changed to Black Lives Matter, which was so important and deserved all the attention. So suddenly if you had a book about Virginia Woolf or you had a book about kink, it just wasn't top of mind for people and then it wasn't news anymore. So at the same time, you were just like, well, obviously like people should be talking about what's in the news right now, but also, meh, I really tried hard to do this thing. So you felt yourself becoming, you just started to be, you were like, it's like, wow, this time last year, I was interviewing people in dungeons and I was having wonderful adventures. I was having all these realizations about myself and the kind of life I want to live. And this year I'm literally like singing songs to my cat and, you know, <laughs> Great British Baking Show is over and I'm like bereft. You know? <laughs> and the answer, and the thing that keeps me going is knowing that I'm not alone, mm-hmm. that, that everyone out there is disappointed and crushed. And, and I feel like even though that's a bad universal experience, it makes me feel better because I don't feel quite as shitty. It's like, okay, no one except for people who work in like private equity or like rich, horrible people are living their best life right now. And if you are like, you know, Bless you. I mean, maybe some people, maybe they are, maybe they're home and they've written a novel this year, but I, I didn't think I had, to, I was going to start my own business this year. I was going to bring back my old podcast. I was going to go speaking. I was going to just build out this personal sex and money brand. And that just did not happen. I had to go back to work and I was really scared to go back to work. I was scared. I wouldn't be a good employee. I was scared that I I would be too disappointed and, and I just had to, and I took to my bed for a few weeks and then I finally got up and I looked at my bank account and I said, this is not the year to be an unemployed writer. And I got to face it because this is not a good year to be an unemployed writer for any of us. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to some people because social media is just personal PR. It's not real life. And I reached out to a few people about what I was going through and people who are comedy writers, people who are just like us. And they all said the same thing. They're like, yeah, um, I had to go back to work. But no one talks about that. I had to go back to work as a personal assistant. I had to go back to work doing part-time sales and marketing. I had to go back to work doing customer support or whatever people do, you know, whatever their job is. I had to go back to doing like remote paralegal work. And because nobody talks about, I mean, Twitter is a little better because you could talk about your personal shames. But in general, nobody talks about that kind of stuff. Like, remember I was telling you about, I did about our worst sets mm-hmm. when I did the, I once did a set at the Creek in the cave where I did not get one laugh for eight minutes, Oof. not one laugh. I will never forget what that felt like. And somebody was there. Some, I think the person whose show it was hired, I don't know if it was Mindy, but hired some really great photographer to take photos. I think it was Mindy. Yeah, my, I, she did um, a lot at the Creek. It probably was Mindy. And she, um, she, she did my author photos too, and they're fabulous. But, oh. but I look like I'm having the best set of my life. And I, and if I post those pictures, you would think I was crushing it <laughs> because it's because it's a lot. But I, knowing me, I was like, worst set of my life. Even though I look so fabulous mm-hmm. on stage, like I was, it's all a lie. And I used to look at these comedians like posting all these pictures of them on stage, and I'd be like, I was there. 
you got no laughs and there was no, and there was no crowd. And the people in the crowd were like barely there. Other people are feeling bad looking at you because you're posting your best personal PR, but it's a lie, you know, like, and, and because you want to make yourself look better because it makes you feel better to look better because you want to post a picture of yourself succeeding because why wouldn't you? Because you want to get booked on other places. But, you know, because it's, because after, and after a while showing what a loser you are, like the loser you think you are, people will start to think that you're kind of a loser, which is another issue that people have, but they only post mopey, sad things about themselves. Sometimes I want to be like, dude, like you're actually doing okay. Like it's, it's okay to say I had a good day or thanks for buying my book. It really, I really appreciate it. You know, like, thanks for giving me a compliment. That's so nice. You're allowed to say that. You don't have to say like, yeah, I'm just a dump truck piece of shit all the time just to be false modest or just to not make other people feel bad or feel better about themselves. I used to do that all the time. People would say, there was a really funny Amy Schumer sketch um, where all these women would meet up and she'd be like, hey, you look great today. She's like, oh God, no, I look like a piece of shit on fire. And they're like, you, I heard you got a promotion. She's like, oh my God, like I'm like the dumbest person in the entire, I can't believe they promoted me. I'm like literally like, the dumbest cow in a pasture that somebody tipped over into a pile of dog shit. It's like so <laughs> fun. And, and it's a really funny sketch. And then finally someone says like, oh my God, girl, look at you. You look amazing. And the woman goes, oh my God, thank you. And they all burst into flames because they don't know how to handle somebody just saying thank you. And I think about that sketch a lot. And so I had to practice saying like, oh, thank you. Whenever I get a compliment, I go, I go, oh, thank you. I, and when people say they like the book, I go, oh, thank you. I worked really hard on it and it was so much fun to write. That's like I had to write out a script for myself. Thank you so much. I really loved writing it. It was so much fun. It's always such a basic thing to say, but I had to train myself to say it. Well, because it's, I, I think it's something that women are taught again too. It's like, we're not supposed to take compliments because how could they be true? You know? Well, it's bullshit. Take every compliment and like rub it all over yourself. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
one thing I've learned in this like hiatus is like forced creative hiatus. Uh, not really creative, but just like forced hiatus is that we aren't our successes. Like we aren't our successes or our busyness or our lose our losses either. And like, that's been a huge one for me to learn. I'm just like, you are just like, actually just like who you are. Um, and you're like success, you're, your bad sets, your, what you do on Twitter and Instagram, that's not you at all, like at all. Like that's not a representation or how anyone or how anyone should be um, not comparing, should be trying to equate uh, success to like ever. No, it's all a lie. Um, you know, sometimes like I remember when I used to work at the New York Daily News and I was so unhappy when I was there. I had great friends there and I had fun there, but I was personally very unhappy. And this unhappiness was just, was just seeping into everything I did. And working in media was really hard. Everyone was getting laid off and there was a real toxic atmosphere of unhappiness. And someone said to me, I think at one point I said, I said, who the fuck cares? Someone goes, Oh, that's your motto. And it was, I was so horrified. That, 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 some, that I said, who fucking cares so often that people thought, someone thought it was my motto. And that's when I, I ended up like, I ended up quitting shortly thereafter because <laughs> I said, I have to change my life if that's the kind of person I've become because I do care. I care so much about so many things. And what I was saying was like, I don't care about this thing. I was saying was I don't really, I don't care enough about this job. And I don't care about what the work I'm putting out there. I don't care about Kim Kardashian. I don't care about you know, promoting, you know, I, I don't even know, like, I'm only using her as an example, but like, I did so much unpaid promotion for like all these celebrities, because we needed something to write about. And I did so much unpaid promotion for the Kardashians and all their products. And even while I thought I was being snarky and making fun of them, like, I was writing about all their shitty fashion collections and all their stupid TV shows and Chloe and all these people, I didn't give a shit about them. And I didn't want to give them free publicity. So when I would say I don't, I, I goes, who fucking cares? It sounded like I was talking about my own life and I was, but I was also talking about the work. I didn't care. Yeah. But I care about things now. What, uh, what inspired you to interview Doms and relate it to like life and money? So it's an interesting story. So I've always been really interested in, I've always thought dominatrixes were fascinating, probably since watching HBO late at night when I shouldn't have been. Um, I've always been really attracted to powerful women. Um, I've always been really attracted to, you know, I've been envious of women who walk into a room and everyone pays attention to them. I love what female villains. There's a reason why men love female villains, you know, like I've just always been really, I just like, I like the aesthetic of it. I just was just, I wanted an excuse and I ended up going to this event, which isn't in the book, but I talk about it all the time. I, I wanted to go to a kink event because I had the idea for the book, but I wanted to go to one that seemed very low stakes for me. And there was, there's something called um, CF, NM, which is clothed female nude men. And it was all women dressed as they wanted to be dressed. They don't have to be dressed in dom clothes. They can be dressed in anything they like. And the men, and it's an event, and the men are all either naked or in their underwear, and they are all doing whatever the women want to do. And I went and it changed my entire perspective on life because first of all, it was the women gotten free or like for 10 bucks and the men had to pay 80 bucks to be there. Oh, damn. And um, it was interesting seeing all these men in this very submissive sort of position and being so happy and having a great time. And it just opened up this wing in my brain of something that actually turned me on and excited me. 
So, and suddenly like my, so, so I had an idea for something I wanted to do because I was thinking about shaking up my life in, in many ways, but I got the idea. I think I had the idea before then, but that's the event that said like, there's something here. This is what I want to explore in myself. And this is what I want to explore um, as a wider philosophy. And I, and as I was interviewing the women in the book or the, or the, um, the, 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 yeah, the doms in the book, um, they were interested in speaking to me, not just because they want to talk to somebody for a book, because a lot of them are very reticent to talk to media because they're often misrepresented and treated very poorly. Um, they were interested in talking to me because they saw that I was very interested in their philosophies as people versus just like, how do you wield a whip or like, how do you like, you know, I was only, I was interested in their philosophy on power and, 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 um, and personal authority and, and, and confidence. They were more in, I was more interested in talking about that and they wanted to talk about that. They were less interested in talking. I mean, they want what they wanted to highlight their skill set, of course, because some of them are amazing with ropes. Some of them are amazing. You know, they can throw a flogger. You know, some of them do uh, do wrestling, and those which is amazing. They do like they do hardcore lady wrestling, which is so cool. Um, but they said they. One of them said to me, "I'm so glad you're writing this book, but it's for beginners. And if I can make a suggestion, I would tell people I wouldn't. I would encourage people to not put themselves in a box. Like I'm a top. I'm a bottom. I'm a this. I'm a that. It's like." You can be anything you want any day of the week you want. Just have to know what you want. And, oh, and my brain, every time I talked to one of the women in the book, my brain just exploded with ideas. I was just going to say my brain just exploded from that. I was like, that's so freeing. It's so freeing. And, and, and then telling you, and then the scary part is telling your partner what you want. Cause then there's the fear that they're going to be like, ew, or they're going to be like, um, no. And that's what happens a lot in relationships that you're with someone for a long time. And suddenly you say to them like, um, I think I might want to open up the marriage or you say like, I kind of want you to spank me or, um, I kind of want to spank you. And then the other person is like, ah, and it's like, oh, like you put yourself out there in this way. And that's both, both people, whether it's the whatever gender you are, like you, you could put yourself out there and be rejected. And then you have to deal with the fallout of that, you, you know, cause, cause how do you go back? It's like, well, you have to figure out how you go back. Do you compromise? Are you happy with that compromise? Um, can you live with that compromise? Is that going to break up your relationship? Can you live without it? Can you seek it elsewhere? Um, and that's, so there's a lot of, so asking for what you, what you want is also a risk. You know, I love, you know, I interviewed for my podcast called Spent. I interviewed an economist um, who writes about risk and she writes about it more of a, you know, more in, in terms of, you know, larger economics. But to me, like a risk is a risk and you have to measure it out. You know, telling my husband what I wanted was terrifying and, um, because, and again, like, I don't want to reveal too much about him because he's a very private person, but, you know, we didn't agree on a lot of stuff. It's like, well, what do I do with that? And that's, you know, and trust me, having such a whole sexual revelation about yourself during a, during a pandemic is like the most pathetic thing. Because in the end, like, you know, there's all these adventures to be had and then like, wah, wah, we're stuck inside. But yeah, so telling your partner what you finally want to do is also incredibly frightening. And and so how do you go about doing that without feeling scared or, you know, what if you're like, what if you're a guy and you suddenly want to get pegged or you want to maybe, 
experiment with another man, you know, like I know men reach out to me and tell me so many secrets of theirs um, because I just have that kind of personality and I have so, and I, and I am trustworthy. I never reveal anything to anybody of what people tell me, but so many men are just so desperate to break out of their lives because they are so tired of being in control, so tired of following the same rules that women feel like they have to try. At least we have magazines to tell us, you know, (laughs) tell us the wrong things. And at least a lot of women have each other to talk to, you know, and empathize with. A lot of men are just like, oh, you know, and then, you know, it's like, I don't know. I think maybe sort of I might want to see what it's like to like make out with another guy. You know, and but like, who do you talk to about that? You can't talk to your guy friends. A lot of straight guys can't talk to their guy friends about that, and it becomes a secret. It becomes something that makes you maybe over the years dissatisfied. Or you know, I kind of want to be tied up. I kind of want you know. I'll say one more really funny thing. Another thing I was really inspired by was I found this really interesting Reddit thread, and it wasn't in the kink threads. It was in a regular sex thread, and it was this guy who's like, you know, he's like, can I just say? I'm really not into being really abusive and not not abusive. I'm not that into being super aggressive and degrading to my girlfriend in bed. I'm just not that into it, but I do it because she likes it. And all these men started chiming in and being like, I know, I just like, you know, I just like, I do it because she's like into it, but I just don't like it that much. I just, it's just not my thing. And this guy was like, listen, like, I'm a guy, I'm a man's man, blah, blah, blah. Like he was giving all these qualifiers. But one night my girlfriend just got wasted and she threw me on the bed and she fucked the shit out of me. And she like just, and it was the best night of my entire life. It like was the hottest thing that had like ever happened to me and it's never happened again. And I dream about it all the time. And then all these men were like, you're so lucky. Oh my God, that sounds so hot. And it was so sweet and it was so sad that all these like obviously sexually open guys who were desperate to experiment or super open to having a woman slap around and you know take what she wanted from them aren't getting it either because it's hard to tell your tell your partner like hey remember because sometimes the partner just wants someone to take over too and the answer is variety you yeah know? i was to say like, variety yeah you know, just sometimes you want to be the top. Sometimes you want to be the bottom. Sometimes you just want to like, you know, be, you know, everyone comes. Sometimes only one person comes. It never occurred to me that most, but that this is so, sounds so basic, but in my mind, like I thought great sex meant both people came. It's not true. You know, like I just thought everything had to be equal, equal, equal all the time. But why can't one person have an orgasm? you know, one night and the other person have one the other night or then you both come the other night. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's what my idea that great sex had to be mutual, mutual, mutual. Yeah. And that's like such a, it's one of the biggest lies we've been taught. And also the idea that, uh, that sex is like, has like a beginning, middle and end that like there has to be like a orgasm uh, and there really doesn't have to be, or that like there should be penetration for it to be sex. Uh, like hundred percent not at all. Uh, learning that foreplay is just sex was like mind blowing to me. You know, like, of course, why weren't we talking about this before? But that story is so great too about all these men because it really highlights too how, how truly vulnerable and scary it is to reveal no matter how close you are to this person or people, what your deepest fantasies are. And I think that's, I think it goes into why like porn is so rampant and it's just like so many options, so many specific yeah. things because it is like 
we all have these very specific things that we like. I, I personally think we all are kinky, but majority of people will never admit it to themselves first to ever, ever try. Yeah, especially, especially this whole like allowing yourself to be more submissive, allowing yourself to try things that um, if it were a man who wants to like date or make out or give head or maybe receive a penis. Uh, and there it's breaks my heart. Like you said, that people feel like they can't. And it just made, reminds me of like, I don't want to live that life either. Yeah. You, you don't. And the scariest thing too, is like, what if you like realize what you want? Like, what if like, oh, I really want this guy to spank me, but you're like, I don't want my partner to spank me. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's like, cause sometimes the dynamic you have with the person you love is not the right dynamic for what this fantasy is. Like there's so much. So like, what do you do? There's no handbook for figuring that shit out. You know, so do you tell your partner, like, I want an open marriage, but just for spanking, which, you know, but maybe that's a thing. Oh, that is definitely you, a thing. That has to be a thing. It can be if you, if you, if you have a partner who's like, please don't make me spank you. But if you want to go to a place and have another woman spank you, please just come home after and don't fall in love with the woman who spanks you. <laughs> like, these are conversations that you can have. Yeah. You can definitely, you can, you are, and, and, and you, you are, you are allowed to have these kinds of conversations. And if you are like, I cannot have you going out to a place to get spanked. It like makes me sick and it's cheating. It's like, okay, well, how can you be a little more giving to this partner that, well, this goes both sides, you know? Oh yeah. How can you be, be so shut down? And the answer is, I think that the, the best kind of lover is somebody is, who's just, you know, what does Dan Savage say? You know, like giving in game you know, like generous giving, he has like three G's or something, whatever, like, but, but two of them are like giving and game. It's like, it's like, yeah, let's give that a try. Like that's what makes you great in bed is just like, yeah, like let's, or, or just like, I'm not sure if I'm going to like that. It's like, but like, but I'll try it once to see if it's something that I want to do. And that's like already miles ahead of where you could, where you could have been. And you never know what your partner's looking at when they're watching porn. You never know. You might be shocked you know, and do you have to watch porn with them? Like, maybe not. Maybe give them their quiet time. But at the same time, you know, like maybe, maybe not. You don't need to take part in every one of their fantasies. Yeah. But there's no, there's no conversation that you can't have if you trust your partner. And if you think your partner's going to walk. Then let them walk. You, well, if you think your partner's going to walk because you tell them what you want, then, it's, then it doesn't mean the relationship isn't working. It means that there's a red flag in the relationship. Mm. Like, it, 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 like if you say to your partner, like, I really want you to spank, if you're afraid to tell your partner that you want them to spank you, whether you're whatever gender you are, and you're genuinely afraid they're going to be like, ew, you're a freak. Or you say like, I kind of want you to peg me or I kind of want you. I mean, pegging is, is, is transgressive, you know, for some people. But to say, I really want you to stick a finger at my ass, whatever, when you blow me or something. Like if you think a person's going to walk or think that you're disgusting or a bad person or something, it's like, that's a, that's a red flag. And if you have kids with somebody, like you can't just walk. I'm sorry. Like you have to really, just walking is a massive logistical decision, which doesn't mean that's you That's a really walk. good point. So there's a lot of high stakes with telling somebody what you want. And that's why I spoke to this wonderful therapist for the book. Her name was Gloria Brame. She's a sexologist. And she was saying that, you know, there's high stakes in asking for what you want, because do you really want to walk away from a 25 year marriage because your, your partner doesn't want to do the things you want to do? Do you want to give up all the good stuff because of this one, this one thing that you're sort of desperate and dying for? And that's when you need to have these conversations. Like, listen, I love you so much. 
I don't want to end this partnership, but I'm, but if I don't get this one thing, I'm going to feel like I'm dying inside. If your partner's like, well, just die inside. <laughs> the chances are you wouldn't have been together for 25 years. Yeah. That's a good you know? point. Or the marriage was on its way out and there's other stuff that's making you die inside. So these conversations are so hard to have. And it's just very glib advice to say, just say what you want. It's like, yeah, say what you want, but just think about what you're going to do if you don't get what you want. And how can you live with that? Because sometimes you do have to just live with that. If you've got three kids at home or two kids at home or one kid at home or you have one kid with special needs or one you're living on one income and you can't afford to move out, like what are you going to do? And those are real unerotic questions <laughs> that can come with the erotic that are really important to, to talk about. Because if you're splitting the bills with somebody, you, you can't just walk right away. Like you just can't. So either you come up with a come up with some solution or you have to figure out what you're going to do. And that's why people live, you know, and that's when things get complicated. And to me, that's why advice is so useless because in the end, there's so much gray area and, and conversations that need to be had. But couples have agreements they never talk about. Couples have people sneak around and some sneaking is okay. And some sneaking is, you know, is, is problematic, I guess. I don't judge anybody for anything ever. But I met this guy who was in his 50s at one of these events and we were chatting and I, and I said, you know, he's like, oh, does your husband know you're here? And he didn't mean it like in a judgmental way. And I said, he knows I'm here because I'm working on this project. And I said, does, you know, but you do so. And because I tried to be very honest about what I was doing. And, and I said, does your wife know you're here? And he said, she knows I'm here, but she doesn't want to know. She knows that I just, that some nights I'm in the city doing something. And I said, well, I said, what's that like? He's like, he's like, well, he's, he's like, well, it's, it's, it's the silent compromise we've made. And it's like, well, that's, that's the thing you've done. That's working ish for you guys and hope, and it's, it's not ideal. I think more than anything, he wants his wife to just tie him up and spank him and make him, and that's just not her bag, but that's how they've stayed together and they have kids and the kids are in college. He told me his whole story mm. and I might be one of the only people in the universe that knows that story. Um, and I just said, like, I hope that I, you know, and the only thing to say to that is I wish you the best. <laughs> I wish you guys the best. I wish you guys eternal happiness. And I hope that, you know, but things are probably not going to change for that guy. His wife is you no, know, and his wife is never going to want to look at him. You know, is never going to is never going to want to look at him and you know whatever like leather, leather underwear or whatever he was wearing and be submissive. Like she probably just wants maybe she wants something else or maybe things changed over the course of the marriage. And that's and he and his wife have to come up with that solution if she's happy to just be like, oh well, he's in the city tonight. He might be doing this weird thing. You know, I don't want to think about it. It's like, well, you're choosing not to think about it. And that's what's keeping your marriage together. It's like, well, okie dokie. It's up to you to deal with that, you know? Yeah, it's a really good example that there are no straightforward rules for a relationship. No. Um, um, and the one thing that I've been so grateful with Awkward Sex, the podcast, and the show is just learning how everyone has, like, these awkward situations, whether it's trying to figure out a compromise with a new kink with a partner and in a marriage, or uh, maybe they haven't had sex until they were 30. Um, sure. And like the, all these things are so real. And it's like a very, it's a very universal topic uh, experienced so individually. Um, and so just hearing all these stories too, it's just like, wow, like, you know, I didn't, 
think about that either, even though I've done this podcast for over two years now on the show over seven years. Like there's I'm still, so glad. there's so many stories out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love it. And I, and I love, like, I, again, like, I can't wait to read this book. Like, I think it's going to be really, really good. Um, I'm going to put a hardcover copy for you in the mail just, oh, because the, thank d- you. just because the hardcover is so beautiful and the soft cover is pretty, but the hardcover is like a work. Of I art. know so the hardcover. I, I, I remember seeing um, it. Well, I'm happy to send you a copy and um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you and your partner take the sex quiz. It's a really, really funny sex oh, quiz. It's very much, it's very much, you know, a salute to my women's magazine days. In some ways, it's very much written like this very long, delicious Cosmo article, which is what I wanted it to be very accessible. And I wanted it to be for people who just never read a kinky book before. And I wanted them to feel like, you know, I just wanted them to feel like they were reading it, you know, reading a cozy magazine while they were in the bathtub. That, that's, that's the vibe I was going for. Oh my God, I can't wait. Okay, awesome. Thank you again so much. It was so great. This is great. Yeah, it was great meeting you too. I can't wait to like meet you in person when this is all done. I know. Oh my God. It's, it's just, it's all too much. I miss people so much. And it was so great to not text with you. It was so great to talk to you. Yeah, same. Thank you guys for listening, for reviewing, for sharing, for subscribing. Awkward Sex in the City. Thank you for following uh, Lindsay uh, and buying her book, Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrix on How to Get Everything You Want. I hope this gave you some clarity. I hope this lets you breathe a little bit. Uh, you're not alone. We're all in a very in the thick of it. We're going into our 10th month of a pandemic and we've been left alone and so everything you're feeling right now is valid everything that you need to do is valid you do not need to be thriving in a pandemic you do not need to be doing anything in a pandemic you don't need to be creative you don't need to be using this time that's a big one that's been fucking me up it's like you have all this time why aren't you doing more creative stuff and sometimes you just can't in the summer i was writing like 50 fucking pages and it just like spilled out of me and you know what it could have also been because our percentages were way lower and people weren't dying left and right around you and the sirens were gone and you got to breathe i don't know was that part of it i don't know but what i'm saying is don't if you can don't beat yourself up Um, I will see you next week, unless I don't. I haven't decided when I'm taking my break for the holiday. But you know what? I have a feeling I will see you guys next week. Um, Wash your hands, wear your mask. Please do not pull down your mask to talk to people uh, working. And if you sneeze, please don't. Why? I keep seeing people take their mask down and sneeze and then put it up. The whole point is to contain the sneeze and cough. But again, I'm don't want to lecture you. I'm not a fucking scientist. I don't work in the healthcare profession. We're all just tired. We're all just tired and sad. Okay, that's a fun way to end, right? Am I right? Am I right? Okay, goodbye, guys. I love you. Happy December. Bye.